0: Welcome to the Lions 24-7 podcast. Welcome to 2022. I am Tyler Donahue. He is Sean Fitz. And here on New Year's Day in Tampa, Florida at Raymond James Stadium, we watched Penn State jump out to a 10-7 lead at halftime, but blanked after that, falling 24, to hand against Arkansas. Arkansas, three consecutive scoring drives in the third quarter in which they rush for almost 180 yards. That was a momentum changer. Penn State cannot produce a spark offensively to provide an answer. Late turnover in the fourth quarter intercepted uh, Sean Clifford in the end zone. That just about snuffed any chance for Penn State uh, to rally. And Sean, you almost nailed this. You had Penn State at 10 points. You had Arkansas at 20. Arkansas scored a little more than you thought, but you were just about on the money. And I said it. If they come out of this game scoring 10 points, get ready for a long winter of discussions about Sean Clifford, Mike Yursich, and what comes next.
1: Yeah, can't wait to talk about that for the next nine months. It's gonna be awesome. Um, but no, I mean it, it it's kind of and I also should have nailed it by the way, because there was a garbage missed uh, false start there uh, right before the touchdown. It should have been a field goal, so it should have been 20 to 10. And that's that's the asterisks that we'll put back in it. Um, but yeah, it was it was kind of how we how we played it or how we thought it would play out in terms of Arkansas overmatched Penn State. They 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 outmanned them. They, you know, Penn State's missing guys really showed up in a big way today. And, you know, you could argue that the the outcome would be different if those guys were out there, but that doesn't matter. I mean, you know, Penn state falls to seven and six um, and, you know, you, you come out of this and there's really not a ton of um, optimism in terms of what you saw building there. Um, You know, the way that Penn state had that four year stretch there where they're, you know, winning a ton of games and going to New Year's six bowls and stuff like that. Now you're kind of looking and saying, what, what is the, is this a rebuild? Is this a situation where you go from all of a sudden sitting near the top of the mountain, obviously Ohio State's there at the top of the mountain, in the big 10 and some other programs nationally are above you, but you're, you're in the conversation right now. You're wondering what, what the conversation is next year and, and how you feel that uh, this team can come together. Sean Clifford, another uninspiring performance, a couple of turnovers. Um, and, and really you're kind of asking what's this team identity. And unfortunately the identity is Good defense, mediocre offense, and, and that's the recipe in college football today for, for for just a mediocre product. Very difficult to reconcile with
0: mediocre offense being a staple of this Penn State football program, considering what happened one year ago when James Franklin dumped Kirk Sciarocca, brought in Mike Yurcich to a lot of fanfare. We'll talk about that plenty. I already have, but here in this matchup, Sean, um, you know, first off, the first half was fun. It was, there was some silliness to it. Yeah. There were some plays that made you scratch your head. But it was a bowl game atmosphere. We knew Penn State was going to be without at least five defensive starters. It ended up being six because three Castro fields, whether you call it an opt-out, whether medical stuff was in play. He didn't practice this week, and, and then we saw him on the sideline for this matchup. So you're without him. You knew you were without Dotson and Rasheed Walker on the other side of the football. But Penn State gets to halftime at 10-7, and you're thinking – all right, well well, this is probably better than we anticipated. The second half, which we'll talk about uh, in a, to an extent in a moment, it was basically the worst case scenario of how we thought the game could go in a bad way for Penn State. And ultimately that's how it went. The Avalanche got started. Penn State had no response and a 24 to 10 loss drops the team to seven and six. It's the first time since 2015 in a full season that they have failed to reach nine wins and, and much less eight in, in this circumstance. And of course, when you start five and O oh, and you get to number four in the country and, and everybody starts generating that kind of conversation and, and that kind of dialogue and to see it end in this kind of manner, um, it's startling. It's jolting. I think we're all suffering from some kind of whiplash. And at the end of the day, this is a program that, since they walked off the field in the Cotton Bowl game, which was an awesome time, the last time you and I were side-by-side before today uh, on the road. Um, Since then, they're a 500-football team. And make of 2020 what you will, make of this season what you will. But they've had a nine-game win streak involved in this two-year span, and yet they are a 500-football program.
1: It's really incredible when you look at at how they played this year and you get the same story week after week. And that's, that's disappointing when you're talking about the things that you need to fix. And James Franklin's talking about it, Mike Yersich is talking about it, the things that you need to fix. And it's, it's just not happening. Um, I, I know you can't, this is not the NFL. You can't go out and sign a guy. You can't go make a trade or anything like that. So you have to do what you, you have to work with what you have, but at the same time, you have to work around that rather than work against it. And it just seems like they're working against it. I mean, 10 points, you look at the schedule this year, that's the that's the least uh, amount of points they've scored in a game this year, but they also haven't scored over 28 against uh, an FBS opponent or a Big Ten opponent. That's not going to get it done. And when you, when Mike Yersich came in with with the accolades and all this kind of stuff, and you've got a veteran quarterback who is hot and cold, but you can't have him running cold as much as he's he, he's been. I mean, that's kind of something we'll get to a a little bit later with the quarterbacks. But the first half, as you said, wasn't all bad. I mean, you you had a 10-7 lead. Uh, If you were there at the stadium, it looked like a party. It looked like fun. Um, It looked like some of those young guys that we are looking to um, were able to get out and get some of the uh, the nervous, the butterflies out and and play a pretty solid half of football. I mean, it, it helps that Arkansas was dumb and just didn't run the ball as much as they should try to pass it. And they're not a passing team whatsoever. They're completely one dimensional, which is fine if you can get that done. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that, that was crazy, but you hit the big play to Parker Washington right out of the gate. Um, you know, he's your new number one receiver. I think he, he can fit in that really well. Um, you, you missed a field goal because of an, of an intentional grounding call by your fifth year quarterback, your, you know, your multi-year starter there. Um, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the same thing that you've run into over and over again this year. Defense came back. Uh, they got run down the field, but they got an interception from Jair Brown, who, by the way, has been terrific. Um, had two more picks today. Um, generally very good. And and, and this defense, um, while they started, like they missed those guys opting out, they really seemed to come around and, and and you know stay true to their gaps and do some very good things. Tackling was an issue, obviously, all day. Uh, but, but you really like some of the stuff that you were seeing. And lead at halftime didn't feel like one where they could potentially fall apart. Now they eventually did. Um, But it it was really, it was kind of fun. I mean, just uh, the the optimism of the unknown is something that we've talked about before, and you can't dwell on the guys that aren't there. But it was kind of fun to see those guys uh, feel themselves out. And uh, unfortunately, it didn't carry over to the second half. Yeah, we, we discussed this. Uh, are we watching kind of the, the pre-spring
0: game or are we watching the end of the 2021 season? Because in a lot well, of ways, it feels like, like spring like, game. Yeah, right. You feel like you're watching the 2022 Penn State football program. It feels like the guys who are down here, minus those who are out of eligibility or as we'll talk about, Jesse Lucchetta, who made his decision after this game. Everybody else is seemingly in for 2022. We have to hear announcements from a couple guys, but. Whoever's down here, it kind of feels like they're part of the plan for next year um, if they've got that eligibility, and, and, and you know, unless there, some of the, the circumstances we talked about with the bonus eligibility. And Sean, going back to that missed field goal, it was Jake Penninger handling duties as the place kicker today. And James Franklin, I don't think it was as clear to us in the media room as he thought it was. He, he thought he was uh, apparently more decisive in conversations with us back in late November about Jake Penninger taking over the place kicking duties uh, from Jordan Stout. They felt like. They were a little too up and down in that capacity while Stout was an All-American level punter, an outstanding kickoff specialist. It's something we talked about in a lot of post-game podcasts that let them down at times. Jake Kuniger's first one was a doozy and, and not in a good way. Um, a big miss for them. And, and of course, then Arkansas comes down, throws that pick. Quick note on Jair Brown before we don't note it. Did not practice at all this week. Jesse Lucchetta referred to him as their version of Allen Iverson, referencing that old practice uh, press conference. I love that from, from Jesse, but Jair Brown goes out there. A couple picks. The instincts were flashing. They got a hell of a player coming back in 2022. Just want to really give him some credit. And he reminded everybody in this press conference, coming out of high school, one team gave him an opportunity to join their roster, Montclair State.
1: Yeah, we don't get too many Montclair State offers in the database there at 24-7 Sports. So good on him for, for getting it. And James Franklin said afterwards, it, it means a lot to him. And you can tell some of these players that that it means that much to them um offensively penn state was really good at moving the ball in the second quarter on offense 172 yards they had the 42 yard touchdown on the big play to keandre lambert smith with obviously a blown coverage by arkansas but you know that's what you try to exploit they also ran the ball and had 48 yards rushing in that corner which uh you know is not a number that jumps off the page unless you followed penn state this year and know that they're running game um i know this is a point that i'm going to let you make because you were really, really uh, adamant about this during the game, but Kevon Lee got involved and then he kind of went away.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like we're talking in circles when we have these conversations with the staff, whether it's been James Franklin for the most part, or occasionally Mike Yurcich, or occasionally J1 Slider, there's this part of the conversation where they're waiting for a guy to take the job. And we've heard this since early August. I mean, we've heard this since since spring, really about this backfield because uh, about the, the, the competition in the room and everything. And you get to this point now and a lot of the stuff just rattles around because we've heard it over and over again and from james franklin who i asked directly about Kivon lee's usage after this game he didn't address Kivon lee uh and that situation directly but he said once again they've got to do a better job of mixing in the run he felt like they got away from that and he said he agreed that 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 probably wasn't the best Thing to do so i think when you know we keep hearing that from james franklin you want to mix in the run um are you giving guys have you given guys a real opportunity to take it most notably Kevon lee this feels like an opportunity to send a sophomore out of the season with some momentum feeling good about himself uh you know he talked a lot about it this this week in practice wanting to be the guy who went out there and got the 100 yard rushing game and you look at what he did early in the matchup, Sean, when he was getting involved. He, he was the guy on the field for the first couple of series. We saw some Noah Kane, but then it was Kevon Lee again. Uh, during that field goal drive that Penn State had that put them up 10-7, to seven, he had a couple of big plays. He had a 25-yard run, a 15-yard catch. He had five touches and turned them into more than 50 yards uh, midway through the second quarter. And then midway through the second quarter, we didn't see him touch the ball again until early in the fourth quarter in a matchup where you're missing Jahan Dotson, and this wasn't a situation where they found another hot hand. You had Noah Kane touching the ball five times. You had Devin Ford with one carry. For whatever reason, uh, Mike Jurcic decided this was a game that it made sense to have Sean Clifford be the guy to try to elevate this offensive attack against Arkansas. And I just really have a hard time reconciling what this run game has turned into. And I have a hard time saying there's some kind of talent deficiency because I've seen these guys play well in big matchups over the course of their career at different stages in college. And I've seen flashes from Kevon Lee most recently in the first half. And is he a finished product? Is he an all big 10 caliber running back? I'm not saying that, but he certainly seemed to be what they were describing the hot hand. And just when you were getting that heat, they
1: put him on ice. Yeah. And, and he moved, he moved the chains and uh, that's something they they haven't had so much. Um, You know, I, I said it, um, you know, early in the game, they were going to need Clifford to run, but, not in the sense that you have more carries for your quarterback than you have for your two running backs. And that's, you know, that's kind of a product of how they they've worked, but in, in in the usage system, just, you find yourself too often spiraling and then trying to chase. I mean, it's like you're gambling and you, and you make a loss and then you try to make up for it with your next bet. They do that with the passing game. I mean, that's really a tough way to, to try and stay on top of things and it results in empty possessions. And I think that's kind of the, the, I think that's probably the theme for the offense this year is so many empty possessions, um, whether it's getting down and not finishing and not executing. And I, and I think a lot of it is execution. I think um, the middle part of that game, the second and third quarter, you saw some really good play calls and just missed throws and missed, uh, you know, missed opportunities, maybe some drops. And um, you know, I think that that's really what you've got with this offense in 2021 or last year, I guess now you could say um, is just, there's a lot of empty possessions, and that's that. That's something where you can have those if you supplement it with big plays. We saw the Joe Moorhead offense um, did have empty possessions as well, but they were able to, to to hit these chunk plays, and and that's really not what you're you're getting with this offense right now. Had the big play to to Washington to start the game, got zero points out it. Had the big play to Keandre Lambert Smith, where you get the touchdown, but in between there, those in between possessions, you just you're not getting it done. And that's I think that's probably the thing that you have to look to if you're Mike Yersuch, say, how do we make this change? You had one touchdown and it required a one-play drive. And we're
0: talking about a matchup where the front seven is as thin as you can possibly imagine as it turned out those freshmen that we thought might r- burn redshirts, And in fact, on Wednesday during his press conference, James Franklin said that redshirts would be burned in this matchup. And so that led us to believe Kobe King, at least, and potentially Jamari Budden would be involved at linebacker where you're missing two starters and Ellis Brooks and Brandon Smith. Nope. A- and the reasoning, James Franklin put it out there, and he chose to go public with this. And I think it was an interesting decision, but he said it was the player's decision as to why they did not play. He mentioned that if there were some injuries accrued, and I guess he's talking about maybe Tyler Elsden or Jesse Lucetta or uh, some of those others that were at Charlie catchier that they would have been involved. But he said it was a Kobe King slash Jamari Budden decision as to why they weren't involved. So you had two starters opt out. And maybe opt-out's not the right word, but seems like two freshmen who maybe could have contributed against a team that put up 360-plus rushing yards against you at least stepped aside or stepped back. And I thought that was interesting and, and maybe the kind of thing that happens inside team facilities. But for Franklin to mention that in a public forum, that one stuck out to me.
1: Uh, you know, I, I get what you're saying there, but at the same time, if, if he puts that out there like he did, um, you're doing right by your players. Now That's how it's going to be interpreted by recruits and things like that. So you're you're you know adhering to the wishes of your players. And doesn't like that, that. Op- so doesn't think- that
0: open up Kobe and Jamari to some serious criticism? I mean, you've seen some of the stuff on, and everyone's got to deal with social media in their own way. But you've seen some of the opt out reaction. Now this is getting around with these these two linebackers in a game where you were very thin at linebacker. And I don't mean to, to, to heap anything on these kids, but what we were said is they basically said we'd rather have the opportunity to come back for a fifth year in 2025 than contribute in this matchup. I mean, that's essentially what we're talking about here.
1: I mean, yeah. And who knows what it's going to look like four years or five years from now. But uh, right. yeah, no, I, mean, I, I, get, I get what you're saying. I don't mm-hmm. think they make a difference, a big difference in this game. Uh, I think the it's kind of consistent with what we heard all year especially with kobe because he played in what the first four games or the first three games or the first five Um, yeah for the first five and then you know we kind of we reported that he you know would prefer to red shirt and is that the right call? I mean, that, I think that's a different conversation here, but is that the right call? Who knows? Um, But yeah, they it, practiced it a bunch. I will say
0: we saw them in Tampa, Sean. They practiced a
1: bunch. I mean, they got a bunch of, of reps. So
0: it's not like these guys were on the sideline all month. They got a, a lot of extra reps. They got a lot of work with the ones and twos, but ultimately no work against an SEC opponent. And let's face it, this was a matchup where it was kind of all hands on deck in the front seven for Penn State's defense.
1: Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll give you that one. Um, I'm just sitting here thinking about the fake field goal and the punt. So I really don't have any answers for you on that one. That game got really, really really dumb, really fast. Um, You know, Uh, Franklin said afterwards that if they didn't get the look that they wanted, they didn't get the receiver open that they wanted, that you just chuck it deep and hope you get a pass interference or hope you get an interception. It went through the guy's arm. I didn't see a replay. I just watched it live. Um, I don't know if he tried to drop it, or I'm I'm sure his his teammates were probably trying to level him if he he did catch the ball. Um, But, uh, yeah, that one did not work very well. Um, There was no kind of (laughs) – No, no button that you could hit to uh, to, to abort it. Um, and J- Jordan Stout just threw it up. Um, luckily, he was bailed out by Sam Pittman, who called a double pass. Which you know, <laughs> Arkansas is not a passing team by any stretch of the imagination. So, double pass. Who, who knows? They threw the pick to, to Jair Brown. You get Franklin off the hook. You get Pittman on the uh, you know, on the same page there. And then you, add, I mean, you end the half in a 10-7 game, and that you're, you're actually feeling pretty decent. Um, the worry there to me is. Arkansas ran the ball a lot. Arkansas held the ball a lot. Penn State's defense was on the field a lot. So you're thinking in halftime, this might not be a good uh, recipe for that Penn State defense that's thin already.
0: Yeah, and then then Arkansas brought the hammer. They ran the ball. I believe it was eight consecutive plays to begin the the second half, Sean, producing 91 yards and a touchdown on those eight plays. And and the first seven of those was was part of a seven-play, 75-yard drive. And, KJ Jefferson was the MVP of this matchup, but it wasn't because of what he did with his arm. He did make a couple throws. He completed 14 and 19 passes, but it was, you know, he was a big physical force, a formidable presence, like we talked about. Smith Bilbert, who, who had a fantastic first half for this program uh, at Penn State, you know, said he's never seen a quarterback, uh, never encountered a quarterback like a KJ Jefferson in terms of his size and what was required to bring him down in the open field. Um, and so you, you I mean, had him, he, you had he, this. He was kind you of had lost. two running backs.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, very
0: much. There's something to be said about that. And, And then you had, so not only did you have him logging 20 carries, but you had multiple Arkansas players getting in and running backs getting into double digit carries, and that started to pile on. Um, and, and as well as some of these guys played in the first half, and I thought in particular Jesse Lucchetta was flying around in the first half and doing an outstanding job communicating. You had Smith Gilbert, who, who was kind of Jesse Lucchetta's understudy in a lot of ways during bowl preparation through film work and everything, stepped up to the plate in some ways. And Jordan Vandenberg, a, a guy that, that stepped up at defensive tackle. But there was only so many times you could be called upon to do it, which is the other thing offensively, when you're looking for complementary football, and we haven't found much of it from Penn State in 2021 – Look, you know the deal, what's going on on the defensive side of the football. You're you're down your defensive coordinator. You're down five starters, a few All-American players. And you know Arkansas is going to keep running the ball and trying to wear you down on a hot day down in Tampa. And yet we see them try to put this game on Sean Clifford and his arm. Uh, Again, without Jahan Dotson, without Brenton Strange for much of this matchup, he was sidelined. Malik Mega was off the field, on the field a bit. um, And and it just felt like you wanted to counter – what Arkansas was doing with a bit of a ground game of your own. But as I said, Kevon Lee doesn't touch the ball for the entire third quarter. And along the way, Arkansas goes touchdown, touchdown field goal. And, and from there it was like 14 point hole for Penn state. Forget about it.
1: Arkansas just took the Illinois playbook. They went 199 yards in the third quarter, 176 of it was on the ground. Um, and, and really, you know, the, you look in the second half time of possession, 1826 to 1134, that's, that, that's that's a product of that. I mean, you run the football, you sustain drives, and and even if they weren't able to uh, punch it into the end zone, you still put yourself in a position for some good field, you know, some some field position football, things like that. I think that's really what, know, has been missing with Penn State and and it all starts with the run game. Um and and then, you know, you you get to Clifford and he's just not not particularly accurate. Looking good. And, and and I say particularly just to, to soften the blow there because he was all over the place. He threw the pick in the first half that was behind the receiver. Um his second one uh not good at all. Um, just if you, if you miss on that throw in the corner of the end zone, miss high. So you're six, six, you know, tight end that can, that can really move and jump uh, has a shot at it. He didn't have a shot at it. He threw it under the cover too. And, and the safety came over and did what he was supposed to do. Um, but that's kind of the, the, the whole thing you, you, you heaped so much on Clifford and, you know, we'll say the same thing we say every day, credit for him for hanging in there, taking hits, being athletic, you know, getting away. And, but, you know it's just not enough, and that's that. That's really the disappointing thing, especially when you're looking at you know a sixth-year guy who's coming back next year. You've got those other quarterbacks in there. I mean, a lot's going to be on James Franklin. He's been ultra loyal to Sean Clifford, but you see probably the the peak of, or you've probably seen the peak of what he is able to do for your football team. And that says to me, if you if you don't have some sort of competition, you're going to lose the rest of those guys.
0: There was some 2020 vibes today, which the way Sean Clifford played, not not in a good way. And um, that what was probably the worst part of that interception in the end zone was that that was a first and goal situation. Sean, I mean, he's got to know better. Uh, This guy's going to be 24 years old next year. Throw that ball at the back of the end zone. uh, Throw it to a fan in the stands. You can't put that ball in a risky spot when you're facing a 14 point deficit, and you've got another opportunity. You got a few more opportunities from inside the 10. What happened on the play that preceded it? Well, Kevon Lee showed up for the first time since the second quarter. He turned a second and five run into a five-yard game, got you to first and ten. Then Sean Clifford throws an interception, and we never saw Kevon Lee involved again. You're playing catch-up. Christian Bayou Bayer, Christian Bayer, gets involved later, but I think Sean Clifford, the footwork was a problem today, some of the decisions. And this was bad for Penn State today. But this to me is pretty problematic just in terms of going into the offseason because there is the dark cloud again. And and I said, I, I, even if I, even if Penn State had lost this game and you got a, a really quality, sharp performance from Sean Clifford, who just spent, you know, uh, a, a, an extra month with Mike Gerasich. I know coaches are out recruiting and they're not practicing the entire month, but you didn't see Sean Clifford finish. The way you had hoped and you thought maybe he would hearken back to uh, the, the, the first five game sample size, five games and a quarter sample size. He did in one way. He was more mobile than we had seen him at any point since the Iowa matchup. And I was expecting that. But from a decision making standpoint, um, from the footwork, the, the fundamentals, everything you would hope that would be kind of sorted out at this point in this stage of year one. Now, year two, I guess, with Mike Gersich and Sean Clifford. It didn't show up and without Jahan Dotson, you could say, all right, you you'd understand why there would be uh, at least a hiccup uh, along the way. It wouldn't be necessarily a seamless transition. Cam Sullivan, Brown, Malik Mega, anyone, they're not Jahan Dotson. They're not close, but Jahan Dotson to me, Sean, I mentioned this before. He's always been the cheat code for, for Mike Yursich. I mean, he inherited this guy. Jahan Dotson balled out for Kirk Chirac last year. He would have balled out for whoever the offensive coordinator was this year. You take him out of the equation, Parker Washington did his thing. But it feels like Mike Gersuch came to Happy Valley with a plan last January about how he wanted this offense to run. And game by game, no matter as the losses piled up or as the offense kind of went in disarray, he stuck with that plan. And the result here is seven and six. And I I, I mean, you look through the point total. I know people want to parse through a lot of different things. And and, and I have a lot of respect for Mike Gersuch as, as a play caller and a play designer. And you can see a lot of the plays that are available there to be made. I think that's very clear. But the end of the day, if you're an offensive coordinator, you're judged on points being scored because that's how you win football games. And look, the last nine games now, Sean, last nine games, they went over 30 points one time. That was against Maryland. And oh, by the way, Jair Brown
1: scored a touchdown in that matchup. Yeah, offensive points um, hard to come by. You know, the the part that I'm looking at, and I'm, I, I go back to the empty possessions thing. Is is you look at that drive after Arkansas scores its its first touchdown in the second half? They went down, they just ground you down. Um, you yeah. know, ran the ball straight straight at you. You got a QB keeper for Sean Clifford. Uh, you know, got to get a problem with the snap there, and then incomplete to to Lambert Smith, and you punt. So you got the ball for what? Uh, you know, a minute and a half. Um, and you punt, you, you you can't do that. To put you put your defense right back out there, and then you have a similar drive uh, the next time around. You did get a first down there with Noah Kane. Um Yeah, that 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 third quarter offense just is, is is really what killed you. And you're looking at how they were trying to you know keep the game going. You had. Two, I think, what was two carries by non-Shawn Clifford players in the third quarter. Noah Kane had one, and then Parker Washington had one. Um, so that's where it gets away from you. You know, if you it, it, you can talk about the four-minute offense and run when everybody knows you're going to run, but y- you've got to run, you know, outside that window and try to figure out how you can just sort of help help the rest of your team. And that's field yes. position. That's that's time of possession. That's everything like that. And heaping it all on one guy, one guy that's been very hot and cold, is, is not the recipe to get a ton. And you know what a run does versus what an incomplete pass does?
0: It gives your guys a chance to get a blow on the sidelines. They you know, catch, catch their breath a little bit. There was a lot of guys playing a ton of football on defense because of what was going on from a depth perspective. It just felt like Penn State would, would trot out there, and all of a sudden, defense would have to come back out. And defense have to come back out. And they just couldn't answer the bell with what they were facing, without their leading sack artist, without an All-American safety, without their two leading tacklers. And it goes on and on uh, defensively what they were missing today. But I think for me, you look at that Sean Clifford stat line, what it was today, 14 of 32, 195 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. He added the 47 yards for the air. But when I look at that stat line, if you were to tell me yesterday morning or something that, Hey, that's what that's what Sean Clifford is going to do in the in the Outback Bowl. I would have anticipated that he spent the afternoon being harassed by the Arkansas defense, that he was battered and bruised, took five or six sacks, one sack given up today by by kind of a patchwork Penn State offensive line that is by no means dominant and was no was not the dominant force today. But they kept Clifford pretty clean. He faced some pressure, and that led to to the big intentional grounding penalty, and you know forced him outside the pocket. But this wasn't a situation where Sean Clifford spent the whole day, uh, you know, shaking the dirt off of his uniform. And this was relatively clean
1: yeah he took some shot i mean he took a couple real real big shots there especially in the second half and and eventually did have to leave for for medical reasons james franklin said um the the offensive line bar is just so low that you know exactly. they, they weren't any good today and uh, you know but but really how much time we, have we, we didn't spend get a chance to see that thing? i mean
0: what what gets an offensive line going sean they like the run block when you start generating momentum on the ground that's where you really find yourself as an offensive line. Did they have an opportunity to even do that? Maybe a little bit in the second quarter, but that's another thing you take away from them. Offensive line want to keep going, going, going. Let's move the ball. Let's have some physicality. Let's get some confidence. And I think there was just an unwillingness for whatever reason to do that today. And as James Franklin said, he agreed that they did not do the job they needed to do in mixing in the run. And I feel like this is like the fifth consecutive Saturday of Penn State football game action where James Franklin has uttered that phrase or something similar. So I don't know if him and his offensive coordinator aren't on the same page or if things kind of get away from them over the course of the game after planning all week. But that is something that is really difficult for us to hear on a daily basis. And I know
1: for the fans, it is just
0: excruciating.
1: Yeah, because you you hear the same thing over and over again, but the the, the answers are not there, and the, the answers do or the the results don't change. Arkansas two hundred seventy nine yards in the second half. Penn State ninety four yards in the second half. Obviously, the time of possession, um, you know, with the way that the Arkansas was running the ball heavily in the Razorbacks' favor. So I guess the question here, and we'll we'll get to more big picture stuff next week. I mean, what do we take away from this? I mean, there's there's mm. plenty that you can think of. I, I, for, I for one fine with the first half i thought they were in a pretty good spot especially given the expectations that we leveled beforehand um in terms of that's the way to beat penn state is grind them down and and run straight at them and and arkansas didn't really do that in the first half um, it looked fun. If you were there, it looked like everybody was having a good time. I'm a big fan of this bowl for that reason. Uh, seems more like a party than anything. Um, but on the field, I mean, you just got to look at that offense and you got to think something's got to change. Um, the, the running backs um, were not effective this year, but I don't think they were the problem today. I mean, you, you've already covered uh, that in, in, in <laughs> you know fine form. Clifford with more carries than your running backs combined or your two starting running backs combined. And one of them was a sack, but I mean that's that's tough. Um, um and, and and you go through and you say, coming back at wide receiver next year, you're, le- you're losing an All American to Jahan Dotson. You've got Parker Washington who looked really good. You've got Keandre Lambert Smith who looked pretty good. You've got Mitchell Tinsley coming in um, from Western Kentucky who you think that's a formidable trio right there. Malik Mega's got a lot to learn. Um, he dropped a pass today that probably should have been caught down the down the sideline. Um, but you know, you can work with that. You can make that, uh, happen. The tight ends gotta be better, but, but, but use them. I mean, that's the thing like you, Brenton strange mm-hmm. got hurt today, uh, early, so he was out, but still you got talent there and you, you, you don't have a, a track record of using those tight ends, but I mean, that's gotta be something you bend on. Right.
0: Yeah, Tyler Warren, one catch, zero yards. Brenton Strain, one catch, negative one yards. Theo Johnson shut out of the box score. That can't happen to me. You've you've recruited too well at the tight end position. You have you have too much talent at that position, and you're down, Jahan Dotson. You're not using the running backs, you're not using the tight ends. What are we doing?
1: I don't know what you're doing. That that seemed aggressive there whatever that sound was. Um yeah, uh the, and and it goes back uh in general to the uh the offensive philosophy to to hit those big plays, to hit those chunk plays, but if they're not there, what do you what do you have? And that's really there's such a there's such a a high and low about this offense where you hit those big plays, that big play to Keandre Lambert Smith or that big play against Wisconsin to Jahan Dotson, but just the in between possessions, you're not getting it and you're not putting yourself in a position to play a style, you know, you can meet in the middle there um, between what Moorhead likes to do or like to do and what, what Franklin likes to do in terms of playing a possession-based special teams field position type game. There's, you know, if, if you're moving the ball, you can you can find yourself in that position. And, and really, they've kind of lost themselves. And, you know, that's yeah. partially offensive line, partially Sean Clifford. Mike Yersich uh, deserves the blame as well. Um, but they they have not found themselves on offense and 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 I think the scariest part there is is what do you fix and how how does that come because if it's a quarterback you're going to have uh you know freshmen or you're going to have those growing pains and things like that if it's an offensive line you know you're upset in the room with transfers and things like that but maybe that's maybe that's okay uh, so I I just I don't know that there's an answer. I don't know that there's three or four answers, but uh, you know you can't go through scoring ten points in in, in multiple games this year and expecting uh, expecting good results. This was such a Clifford-centric game plan at the end of it,
0: um, whether they meant to do it this way or not. And I know some of these rushes for for Clifford uh, were, were, were you know improvisational, not necessarily designed. But he had thirty-two throws, eleven carries. And then you look at the, how the touches were distributed across the offense, Sean. You had Parker Washington, seven catches for 98 yards. But then you, yeah, Lee and Kane had five touches. I, sh- I should say six for Lee because he had a, a 15-yard reception as well. And then three catches for Lambert Smith. And you go down the list and, and, and there's just not really any kind of distribution getting the ball in the playmaker's hands. And I think Sean Clifford, uh, we, we talk about his, his veteran presence and a guy who can do some things with his leg, but this can is not the quarterback I think that you load him up and say, go beat a top 25 Arkansas team, essentially carry, carry the team to a victory and and do it without the guy who you threw 91 pass completions to in 2021.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm looking at stats right now. <laughs> Arkansas ran the ball 58 times. Um, and now sacks were included in that. And, and Penn state did actually get to the quarterback, I think five times. Um, you talked about Smith Filbert earlier, but uh yeah, Penn State was better in balance, but in in the end, it didn't matter because you weren't sustaining drives, you weren't keeping the ball, and and you weren't hitting those big plays. Um, You know, I I thought in terms of the running backs, they're okay. You know, when you got the ball there, they ran some counter stuff that was really nice, and Noah Kane looked like he had a little bit of burst there, and, you know, it looked like there was something to build on there, but when you just heap so much of it on Sean Clifford, and he's not Trace McSorley, and he's not, uh, you know, a guy that's going to you know, go out there and contend for the Heisman or anything like that. That's that's a problem when you're asking a guy to do so much of what you want to get done when he just, I don't know that, that he's capable of what they're asking of him. And I, I'm certainly curious of, of where Jay one Slider comes down on this kind of the,
0: of the dynamics that have happened. And, and we know how high he was on this room. It, it felt like, I mean, he was antsy to get into this season and start using all these weapons in his running back room and to see where it ended up to see the lack of usage in this particular matchup and knowing what they have coming in in just a matter of a week or so with Nicholas Singleton and Katron Allen, they got to sit down and and sort some things, sort some things out. It's hard for me to say clearly. Jay one Slater, run game coordinator, running backs coach, Phil Troutwine, offensive line coach. They've been together now for two years, I think going on three. And then Mike Yersich, uh, who was the new guy in town this year, I, I don't know what was missing, but there was not a cohesion and and that's not just me saying, hearing things in the facility or anything. This is just me saying, I see the games and I see the lack of production and the lack of points. And I can't imagine Jay one Sider is pleased with this. And and I'm just really curious. It's gonna have be a hard discussion. I'd imagine there's gonna be a lot of emotions that go into the autopsy of what happened offensively. And for Mike Kyrcich, um I don't necessarily know what the conversation is going to be like with James Franklin when they kind of sort through what went wrong, what went right, what they're going to bring into the 2022 season, what they're going to leave behind in 2021. But there is a lot to go through. And James Franklin, in so many ways, although he's got this new 10 year contract, in a lot of ways, he hitched himself to Mike Yersich by making that bold, aggressive move last January. And I just don't see how you can look at it from any angle and say that the offense took a definitive positive stride outside of that five game vacuum with the
1: way Sean Clifford looked. Yeah, you can't, I mean, there's there's no way around it. And I don't know that, that it's worth, you know, trying to, to to throw more words at it because you, you right. just can't. Um, I came into this game, um, you know, like, like I said, taking it for what it was worth to, to watch some younger guys. Um, and I thought we saw some flashes. I really did. I thought, uh, yes. you know, despite the end of the score, uh, you you had two guys and they ended up playing together on the left side of that line a little bit. Olu Fashano and Landon Tangwall. Ten- you know, I, I haven't looked at the, the tape yet or the cut-ups or anything like that. But I'm encouraged. You know, you, you look at what Penn State's trying to do on the offensive line next year and you want to see them maybe, you know, uh, ruffle some feathers or shake the cage or whatever. Um, and, and those two, I think would factor prominently into that. Fashano, if you've got a tackle there, then you, you're, you're, you know, you need all the tackles you can get. Tangwall, you might have a tackle there, but you have a guy that, that, that can hold up as a true freshman. So I was really encouraged by those two guys. And I hope that we continue to see a lot more of them and they get to, they get as many reps as possible, uh, before next season.
0: Yeah. And we, we saw 10 um, I, th- I think at both guard positions today, I, I believe he may have worked a little I bit as a so, right yeah. guard. Yeah. So, you know, and, and we've seen him at tackle and so he's exactly what we kind of t- built him as coming in last year, a guy that, that should get an opportunity to find multiple paths to the field. I, I, I have to imagine he will find a path to a starting job next year, as long as he stays healthy and stays on the track he currently is on. But yeah, Fashano, I, I, I was wondering about him. I, I can't imagine he slept all that soundly last night heading into his first start, it, but he held it himself well. It wasn't a perfect performance, and, and overall, I think you can find worse offensive line performances over the course of this game. So take that for what it's worth. And 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 at the end of the day, Sean, with with this matchup, I think I wasn't necessarily as concerned about the win versus loss as I'm sure a lot of people were in this matchup. Whether Penn State got to seven and six, eight and five, it's kind of window dressing on what was an underwhelming finish to the season. You would have liked to have added another victory over a ranked SEC opponent, but let's face it, they went into this matchup so shorthanded it wasn't really fair to to say this was the 2021 Penn State football team going up against the 2021 Arkansas team. So you figured, okay, I picked a loss here, but you wanted to see some some progress. And I think you saw it in other spots as well. Um, I I think, you know, look at what they did on the defensive front. Smith Bilbert, a guy who had three total tackles on the entire season, had three sacks in the first half. And and one of them was kind of a – Escort the quarterback to the sideline behind the line of scrimmage sack, but Smith Vilbert stepped up and again crediting Jesse Lucetta, who knew he had to shift over to Mike when Ellis Brooks opted out. And he spent a lot of time, you know, trying to get Smith Vilbert caught up on everything he needed from a a mental standpoint, because Smith Vilbert has everything he needs from a physical standpoint. A guy who didn't pick up football until his senior year of high school. So really a, a nice potential launch pad for him, a guy that you're going to need to play a significant role for you in 2022. and then hey, Jordan vandenberg hello uh, I mean we've heard about this guy's motor and we saw it on display against Arkansas. That was a good sign and and I think overall uh, Curtis Jacobs again um, comes out of year number two. I, I feel like he is the five star talent we talked about when they signed him in December of 2019. And I'm really excited to see what lies ahead for Jacobs as, you know, maybe that potential game record kind of player that Brandon Smith didn't blossom into. Jair Brown had himself a game. So defensively, I mean, we we can, we can talk about offense. We've already done that, but defensively considering what they were up against, it was bound to happen. They were going to run out of gas and it did. But I thought that was the side of the field where you, you saw some things and said, if this carries into the spring, Maybe they aren't set for the kind of drop off that people anticipate because of the personnel
1: they're losing. Yeah, you've got some hot spots on that defense. I mean, you look at defensive tackle, you know, if we if we see PJ Mustafer come back, which we I think we will. Um but you've got uh cuz Isaiah Izard and Devon Ellie's getting, you know, big time reps and starters reps and things like that and then you've got uh some other other pieces in place. They're going to have to figure out defensive end. I mean, Smith Gilbert mm-hmm. had 3 sacks, but I don't think, you know, watching that game, he's going to pop and and be a guy that uh, that anybody thinks is is something that we didn't know that that smith Vilbert was i look at zariah fisher you know he flashed a little bit um but he's, he's switching off he's twitchy he, well that's what they need man they need somebody mm-hmm. to go after the quarterback and and you know you got smith Vilbert and nick tarbert and you know exactly what you're getting with tarbert and every time he's out there um but they got to find somebody that can get after the quarterback uh fisher needs to put on some weight so that you know when they run at him as i think they did today um he's not uh engulfed and, and up uh, down the uh down the line so Um, You know, encouraged on the interior of that defensive line. Uh, Curtis Jacobs, I think, is a stud. Um, They played him in the Mm -hmm. box today. I thought he was terrific. Um, Just in terms of, like, running down that dude, um, you know, (laughs) he really did a great job. Um, playing it from, from, from that position. I think you play all three positions, all three linebacker positions for them. It's funny because you've got Jacobs and you don't think of him as a young guy. You don't think of Parker Washington and Keandre Lambert Smith, two true sophomores as young guys. Um, but they're kind of in that, in that, uh, that realm of, of, of players that you're feeling pretty good about the future. Um, you know, the, all over the, all over the roster, all over that depth chart. You've got holes that you've got to fill and you've got questions that you have to answer, but some of those sophomores uh, have done a really nice job.
0: And that, and that's great to see because they were absolutely screwed their first year on campus. They didn't have a padded practice. Even if they showed up last January, they didn't have a padded practice until October. So that really set a lot of guys back, I think, but you're starting to see now, uh, now that we're a little bit more distance from that signing day, that, that 2020 recruiting class is, is starting to carry its weight on this roster. That's going to continue. And, and if you want to feel a little bit better, a little more optimism on the defensive front, think of this, PJ Mustapher, Hakeem Beeman, uh, and 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 what, uh, Adisa Isaac is where I was drawing a blank. Those are names that weren't involved here late that we think are going to factor in. Anything can happen in college football. We're still not entirely sure And anything. It's a day-to-day process when it comes to personnel. But There should be reinforcements, and I think we're going to see another attempt to make a splash in the transfer portal, because if you don't try to find yourself the next Arnold of Decatur, you are doing yourself a disservice.
1: Yep, still looking at defensive end, still looking at linebacker. Those are the two big ones in terms of Penn State's uh, priorities here. Um, You know, One reason for that, they will not have Jesse Lucchetta next year. An expected decision by Lucchetta, but he announced after the game he's going to the draft. Um, As you know, we are big fans of Jesse Lucchetta here. Um, I thought he had a terrific year. Again, I still think he could have have grown a little bit more um, with an extra year, but not going to criticize that decision one bit because he really um, showed, especially today, um, you know how much he is. He, I think he's improved as an overall football player. And I'll give you, the, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll give you the floor for this one because I, I know you got some Jesse Jesse thoughts.
0: Well, think about this front seven this year without Jesse Luketta. I mean, it, it's it's pretty scary. And and this was a defense that for much of the year was among the nation's best in terms of allowing points and coming up with red zone stops. And he didn't have the gaudy statistics. He didn't have the highlight plays, but. He was so important in stabilizing the situation when you lost guys from offseason injuries and preseason injuries. And he came up big today. And I think for a lot of fans out there, whatever you think of the opt outs, um, I'm not one to criticize them. But I think Jesse Lucchetta won a lot of people over. And I think they'll remember the effort he gave today. Um, What they're going to miss, Jesse, uh, more than anything, I think, is when you're trying to come off of a season in a finish like this where you lost six of your last eight games, Your culture is shaking a little bit and you need those guys who are the stabilizers in that regard. He fits that mold. I don't think he was actually a team captain this year. He was a team captain last year, but he's a team captain. And for him to now step aside, a guy who was a tremendous mentor, a guy who holds people accountable, isn't afraid to get in guys' faces. You take him out of the equation. This is just a team that really needs to be careful going into this next semester. They got to, they got to glue together instead of, you know, becoming dysfunctional because you can't feel good about how the season ended and there's got to be hard feelings. It's, it, it, they're going to take a little break. Everyone's going to decompress, hopefully exhale a little bit. And then you got to come back and you figure out what went wrong and how do we get it right. And that requires a lot of criticism and constructive criticism and how you digest that and, and how you move forward with that determines a lot about the trajectory of this program. And a guy, without a guy like Jesse Lucetta there, and we've talked about some
1: of the other leaders they're losing, it's time for some players to step up. Yeah, they've got to cultivate a new Jesse Lucetta and and I'm not really sure who that guy is gonna be. Uh, you know, I don't think Sutherland's that guy, even though he's coming back next year. Um, but uh, yeah, they've got to find some more. Mustafer's a big goal. step
0: forward. If you keep Mustafer, that's a tremendous step forward in that in that department,
1: I think. No, oh, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. I mean, yeah. he's an all big 10 guy. Um, So, but uh, yeah, that's uh, all the best to Jesse. No doubt. Uh, one more housekeeping thing before we let you go. Penn State picked up a commitment from Neo Avery. We'll talk about him more on the next episode. I'm a big fan of Neo Avery. Um, A guy that can, you know, could play legitimately at this level as a tight end or as, a, as an edge guy, as a defensive end. He's a high school quarterback, Uh, really, really athletic kid. Um, great size, six, four and a half, six, five uh 225 um just a really big neo-avery fan he's one of my favorite kids in the region just uh because of a lot of things i've I've seen on film and and some of the athletic numbers really stack up well um good football player too not just an athlete not just a guy that's going to go out there and test really well um you know sort of an anecdote here was he broke his hand this year um, and as a quarterback that's obviously not ideal um, he went out and played defensive end without really playing it much before. And he was better than the guy on the other side, who's Dylan Gooden, who has a Penn State offer, who's a top two, four, seven kid. So um really like what Neil Avery brings to the table as an all-around football player. Um, and the athleticism on top of that is, is fantastic. So huge pickup for Penn State. Um, you know, I, I think the ratings – are kind of spot, you know, kind of all over the place. Neo Avery, I think, is 116 in the 24-7 sports rankings, a little bit lower in the composite. But this is, to me, a really, really good pickup for Penn State
0: he's got a 92 rating, and like you said, it's a fun one. It's one where you can use your imagination, and dependent on the coaching staff, and in this case, Penn State's, you kind of have uh, one position coach make his case, the other position coach make his case, and then the head coach has to figure out where the guy ends up on the field. Uh, By the way, uh, two weeks removed from signing the number six class in 24-7 sports Composite ranking for, for the 2022 cycle A uh, Penn State currently ranked number three in the 2023 recruiting
1: class rankings. They are up to six commitments now with Neo Avery coming on board. Yeah. I'm sorry, I haven't even looked at the 2023 uh, rankings yet, but no, it's a good start for Penn State. Obviously, the five-star in, in Alex Birchmeyer um, and Neo Avery, they're going to sign 12 tight ends this year, I guess. So that's kind of the, the direction that that thing's going. Um, but tight ends uh, can be good. Tight ends can be versatile. I think Neo Avery just a terrific player. Well, I think that's all we got. We have a lot of time to talk about everything else. man.
0: we got to get downstairs to the hospitality
1: suite. I want to watch Um, the end of the Rose Bowl here because (laughs) I hate defense. Yes,
0: you and I will be back with frequency this winter. We're going to have guests on, uh, former players, future players, hopefully some current people in the Penn State facilities here over the course of the winter. There's a lot of big picture things to happen. There are changes that will come to the staff, to the roster. That's all still on the way. Um, and I just want to say, Sean, it's been a pleasure. It, it's been a lot more fun, uh, even though Penn State sputtered at the end. It's been a lot more fun talking football with you than it was in 2020 when we, we were talking about a lot of things that weren't football. And this is the end of my fifth season covering Penn State. I can't even believe it, and my fourth alongside you at Lions Twenty Four Seven. So just uh, thank you to you. Thanks to our producer Lance Glenn, and um, I just want to mention this one more time: about 1.1 million downloads across platforms for our, for our episodes, which. I just shake my head at, and very appreciative to everyone out there who who continues to tune in, especially those of you who tune in after the
1: losses. Yeah. Uh, the therapy sessions as those people like to call them are always are often ones that it's very hit and miss in terms of whether people want to listen or not, but we are, incredibly humbled by the support and uh, the downloads and the, and the YouTube and all the, the subscriptions and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's really unbelievable. So happy new year to everyone that's listening. If you're still with us, listening um, good for you, man. Cause that's uh, it's almost 48 minutes of, of us blathering about this game, which was fun in some spots, not so fun in some other spots, but it's kind of following Penn state football. So uh, thank you to everybody that has been listening all year long. All right. We're going to head back north. We'll talk to you guys real soon. Thanks for joining us from
0: Tampa at the Outback Bowl. For Sean, I'm Tyler. This is the Lions 24-7 Podcast.